Do you know what your mind is thinking about? What conversations are you having in your head all the time? And if somebody was to tune in, would you feel a little crazy? <laughs> I know what that feels like. Um, I've had some pretty crazy thoughts and some loops that continue. And so for me as a wife, mom, just even as a woman, a friend and a daughter, I need to figure out what I'm thinking about because like we talked about last week, what we're thinking about is what we're actually doing. We create the life we are living by the thoughts we are thinking. So if you're new to this podcast or you just start catching up, we've been doing a whole series on March mindsets. I'm taking you through a long series or a long session that I kind of broke up and put into different sessions this whole month. So if you're just tuning into this one, you might want to pop back to the beginning of March and listen. You don't have to, but just in case you feel like you're popping into something that's already been happening, it has, and you can catch up really quickly. Uh, most importantly, I hope that these sessions just give you a practical guide to, to living your life on purpose and letting God help you figure out how to have the right thoughts for the right season. Guys, we're going to go right into the session and I will catch you on the other side. So another one that is really clear is Colossians 121 and it says, once we were alienated from God and we're enemies in our minds because of your evil behaviors. So it's saying, listen, before you came to Christ, you were alienated from God. And in the Greek, that means estranged, alienated, and hostile-minded. That's wild. <laughs> That's a wild thought. That before you came to Christ, your mind was trying to get you away from God as fast as possible and without him as fast as possible. And when we disconnect from God, our mind wants to take us as fast as possible to be estranged from God. I knew God. I don't know him now. I heard God. I don't hear him now. It's almost like the estrangement creates a world of disconnection to where we will not want God. We will not hear God. And even if, if someone says God is loving, we'll go, no, no, he's not because we've created an estrangement to him and our mind is hostile. You know, I was thinking about this revival that's been going on. How many of you have been watching this revival in Asbury college? And listen, it's, it's something that you need to research. It's actually hit worldwide news. It's so cool. And I don't have all the details because there's a lot out there, but from what I know, there is a revival that started. There was a chapel that was being held the chapel was dismissed and there was a group of eight students that decided to pray and just began to worship. And at one point there was a young man that stood up and began to confess his sins, repent for what his lifestyle had been. And something in that moment just opened up a door of heaven that nobody had anticipated and they continued to worship and people began to hear and begin to come into the room and gather until hundreds of people began to gather hour after hour, day after day, and then thousands began to come to be in this room. And now there are, you know, rows and rows of people gathering to wait in, to get into the room, which I believe is a couple hours just to get in the room. And there's no one, you know, there's no great preacher, great musician. These are just, it's student led. And it's just, there's just this revival. God is reviving this community and people that have heard about are hungry and they're, they're going there to find out what's going on. And it's sovereign. It's sovereign. It's probably pretty messy. I mean, I would assume it's pretty low key. It's not amazing. It's not a wow, because the anointing of God 
is something we can't make happen. His anointing comes, it's his favor. He manifests his presence on earth. And so somewhere in that atmosphere, he is allowed to just, he's, he's allowing his presence, I should say, to be there. So I asked God this question, why would God allow, why would God allow his presence to be manifested in that atmosphere? Like there's a lot of atmospheres. He, I mean, we have, there are hundreds and thousands of churches that gather all the time to worship and pray. Why did he allow this moment? There's a lot of people that repent of their sins and, you know, have a, an authentic, passionate heart, but like, why, why here? And why wasn't it in a church room and a church service, or why wasn't it at a, at a convention center or, you know, something that's kind of a great moment. And the Holy spirit just reminded me, he said, you know, Havilah, I wanted to move on a place where academics and mind is elevated and taught so that I could show them that I'm the God who not only encounters their heart and their soul, but I want to encounter their minds. I want to encounter their mindset. I want to encounter their intellect, their spiritual intellect. And when I began to think about that, all of a sudden I was kind of brought to that reality where Jesus is being manipulated or trying, I should say, trying to be manipulated by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so they think they're going to trap Jesus. And they say to him, so of all the, all the commandments, which one do you think we should obey? And this is him. This is the, the religious leaders trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus is so wise. He says, you know, I think uh, it's the love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your mind. That's the number one, one you should obey. Wow. He's like, uh, he doesn't just say, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your emotions, with all your experiences, with all the things you imagine about God. No, no, no. Not just your soul, your mind, will and emotions, right? Not just like the soul of who you are. But he actually titles and says it and identifies, you're to love the Lord your God with all your mind. You know, so many faith environments have gotten caught up in elevating mindless worship, right? Just come with your heart, come with your emotions and just worship. Yes, we want you to bring those both. But he never asked us to leave our intellect. He never asked us to leave our mind at the door. Now, sometimes you know the spirit will confound the wise, right? There'll be moments we'll think that doesn't seem amazing mentally, but, but a renewed mind agrees with the spirit. It's not a dead mind. It's not a, a disrespected mind or discounted mind. It's a mind that's loved the Lord, their God with all their heart, with all their soul, their being, and with all their intellect, they're elevating the knowledge of God. They're saying, you know, God, your ways are not my ways. And so I'm, I'm actually experiencing this, this salvation through my mindset, through my, the way that I think about life, the way that I experience life. This is how powerful it is. And it's really important to understand that your thoughts can either be used for good or for evil. It's your choice. Like when you come to Christ, he doesn't get to choose the way you think. <laughs> he gives you a new mind, which is a new mindset, but he allows you the power and authority to pick where you're going to lead your thoughts and where you're going to, what you're going to think about. That's really cool. So here's the question. What is the story that you're telling yourself? Or maybe ask the question, what is the story that I'm telling myself right now? Who is, who's in charge of my mind? I know we say, oh, I am, of course, but really ask that. Who's in charge of my mind? Who, am I allowing my mind to have a mind of its own or am I actually deliberately leading my mind? 
And then, you know, what conversations am I always having in my mind that are never solved? And maybe they're conversations about my marriage or about my life or about my weight or about my opportunities or about my income, whatever it is. But is that conversation interrupted with truth or is it just kind of living in your mind? And this is really important because Proverbs 23, seven says, for as he thinks in his heart, so he is. For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. You want to know what you're thinking about? Then look at your life. Look at how your life is turning out. Look at what, how, you, how you're experiencing life because it's directly linked to how what you're thinking about. We're going to talk about this because this is important. So the truth is that the power is in our thoughts and our thoughts determine our destination. So it's very important to understand that you may want to go somewhere. You may want to be this or want to do this or want to be, be this kind of person, but the thought is the filter. Your thoughts filter and they determine. They're the GPS. So if you're on a road and you're on a journey to become or to grow or to you know help others, whatever it is, your thoughts are your GPS. They're the thing that says, okay, where do you want to go? Um, I want to go into living wholehearted for God. Okay, then let's set our GPS for that. Or maybe your, your thoughts are, you know, I want to be a great wife. I want, I want to be a great partner. I want my husband to wake up every morning and think, gosh, I'm glad I married her. Okay, then we need to actually set your thoughts toward that. Or you're not going to end up in a happy marriage. You're going to end up in a a, a terrible marriage. You're going to end up in a sad marriage. You're going to end up in a disconnected marriage because you haven't set your GPS. Does that make sense? I hope that that makes sense. So we really have to understand that our thoughts absolutely determine our destination. And if we change our thoughts, we change our destinations. It's as simple as that. Yes, it is that powerful. Science proves this. The word of God proves this. Experience proves this. Experimental wisdom, experiential wisdom, I should say proves this. There is a lot around this. This isn't a Havala idea. This is really backed up by so many other places and so many other truths. So let's talk about the way we're made because sometimes we can, we can try to hear the truth and implement the truth, but we don't know where it fits in our, in the way we were created. So I want to give you a quick kind of idea of how you were made so you can begin to use these strategies really effectively. So I want to remind you that you are created as a triune being, which means there are three parts to you. You have a body, right? You have a spirit and you are a soul. So you have a body, you have, you have a spirit and you are a soul. Now your body is the frame in which your soul and spirit live. It's the house in which your soul and spirit live. And your body is the, the way that we take care of our body is, is our stewardship. So your body isn't something that God doesn't care about. He just gave it to you because he needed to make a human and it is what it is. No, no, no. Your body is your stewardship. It's within your care and how you treat your body oftentimes will affect your soul and spirit. Um, but, but with that said, our bodies are dying unless somebody, you know, creates the amazing drug or life pill or whatever it is. At this point, our bodies even if we take care of them and drink the water, take the vitamins, eat well, do everything, we will, our bodies will fail us until we get to eternity. And that's the truth until Jesus comes back. So the best thing we can do is steward our bodies, but we can't perfect our bodies because our bodies are not perfected. They're in a fallen world. Now, we also have a spirit, the Bible says, but not everybody has an alive spirit. And this is important because everybody on the earth walks around with the spirit, but it's like a deflated balloon. And it's, everybody has the ability to have a full spirit, 
but it's only when we ask the Holy Spirit to come live on the inside of us, do we get filled with the Holy Spirit. And in the Greek, that's the pneuma, that's the breath of God. And so when the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, what that means is that the, the Spirit of God fills our spirit. So we immediately are new creations. We have a new mindset. The old is gone. The new has come. All of a sudden, we now have, we are empowered to live this life. It's like we now have the fuel to get in the vehicle to move us forward. Okay. Without the Holy Spirit, it's like literally setting the GPS and having no fuel. You're sitting there waiting. Okay. I really want to do this. I really want to be this, but I can't because the power of God, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live the life that we're called to live. It's very cool. And it is. Man, it is so exciting that he did not leave us without anything God asks us to do. He provides the grace to do it. And he provides the ingredients to make it happen. Always. God doesn't ask us, well, be pure. Like I'm pure. And he doesn't go, but I don't know how you're going to do it. <laughs> you have no ability to do that. You know, good luck. No, everything God asks us to do, he gives us, he provides us strategy and grace and ingredients for that but we have to participate with him. You know, God's not going to force his hand on you. He is going to allow you to powerfully choose things that he's put in front of us. That's how he operates because he's not a controlling God. He is a fully accessible God and, and he will not control us. So your spirit is filled. Here's the cool part. When you get filled with the Holy spirit, it's full. It's full. You don't get a little bit of the Holy Spirit. You don't make a dumb mistake and the Holy Spirit goes, ah, you know what? I'm just going to head out for a little while. No, no, the Holy Spirit, if invited, lives within you and it's ready to be activated by your spirit. Like, come on, your spirit, God's spirit, spirit speaks to spirit. Let's go. And this is where many, I think, church environments get this wrong. And to be honest, having been raised in a church environment, I saw this was constantly wrong. <laughs> I didn't know this. You wouldn't know this, but many times, how many of you were in churches where they consistently had, um, a salvation experience and they consistently invited people to be filled with the Holy spirit. They may have even had you come forward and said, we're going to pray over you that you'd be filled with the Holy spirit, or you get more of the Holy spirit. Or how many of you would like more of the Holy spirit come down to the altar call? We want to pray for you, or we want to activate you. Well, Theologically, that isn't correct. If you've never had the Holy Spirit, then yes, come get filled by the Holy Spirit. But if you've invited the Holy Spirit to live inside of you and you have created an atmosphere for him to be, then you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So don't waste your time thinking, did I get everything I'm supposed to get? Yes, you did. Don't just, don't be distracted by, you know, this idea that you didn't get what everybody else got. That's a lie. You got exactly what I got. You got exactly what Billy Graham got. You got exactly what the disciples got. That Holy spirit is exactly what you have and you have full access to him. You're, you don't have to ask for anything more. Okay. So your spirit is fulfilled. Your body is stewarded, but you have this thing called your soul. Now your soul is a totally different idea. Um, how many of you have ever asked God to come help you? You've had this amazing spiritual moment, whether it's on a hike, whether it's at a prayer meeting, whatever it is, you read a book and you go, I get it. I'm ready, God. And then you go home and you have problems, right? You go home and you think, did that even take, was that real? Did I even have, like, did, did that stick? What happened? Did I just drop it? Was I just being persuaded by the atmosphere? What happened? 
Well, you have a soul and your soul is where your problems lie. Okay. Wherever you are, I want you to understand this, right? So your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. There's three parts to your soul. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. How do I know that? Well, I'm not going to turn there, but the book of Thessalonians talks about being sanctified and it says be, being fully sanctified in your mind, um, in your mind and, and your will and, and your emotions, all those areas being, being sanctified. So let's look at this for a minute. Your soul has three aspects. It has your mind, which are the thoughts that you think. It has your emotions, which are the feelings that you feel. And it has your will, which are your determination and your decisions. So your soul contains those three areas. Now, those three areas have different pathways to renewal, to healing, to refreshment, um, to being a God follower. So your will, I'm sorry, your, your emotions, let's start with your emotions. Your emotions are, the Bible says, are to be healed. This is important. Your emotions aren't wrong. Your emotions, there are no good or bad emotions. This is important. I did not learn this for 30 years of my faith walk. I did not know this. This was something that I'd never heard. And when I heard this, I was really challenged theologically. Like, is that true? Because all I had ever heard was that you shouldn't follow your emotions because your emotions will lead you astray. Your emotions shouldn't be a part of the equation. It should be faith. It should be your mind. It should be your, your heart. And not until I did more research and began to understand that that's actually not true. It doesn't represent what God really created. You see your emotions, your feelings were given to you by God for a purpose. What are my emotions? How are they a purpose? Well, your emotions are signals to what's happening deep inside of you. Your emotions are signals to what's happening deep inside of you. So many times if I said to you, tell me some good emotions, you might say, well, joy, happiness, gratitude. And if I said to you, okay, give me some negative emotions. You might say, you know, anger and anxiety, fear, um, jealousy. Well, let me say emotions have no moral value. Could they be good for you? Could they be bad for you? Yes. But on a whole, emotions are bad. If you said jealousy is wrong, then why would there be a scripture that says God is jealous for us? That is an emotion being used in the proper way. And when it says be angry and sin not, that is an emotion that's being used in a negative way. So your emotions tell you what's going on the inside of you. They're like light bulbs. They're switches. They're in the dashboard of your car. It's the light goes on and you go, oh, I need fuel. Or the light goes on and you go, oh, I need, I need to get an oil change. Those are the signals to what needs attention. This is very cool. So when I'm going throughout my day and all of a sudden I feel anger, I don't go, oh, I shouldn't be angry. That's wrong. I sh-, you know, I'm a good Christian girl. That's, oh, I'm not angry. I'm not angry. That's not, I'm not feeling anger. No, that's not true. I am angry. So why am I angry? I get curious. How do we begin to figure out where we need transformation? We engage curiosity. So when we experience an emotion, we go, okay, I feel anxious right now. Why am I feeling anxious? Is there something I'm believing? Is there something that I've allowed to hang out in my thoughts? Is it somebody else's anxiety that I'm owning? 
Or is it just a weird anxiety thing that the enemy is trying to make me anxious and I'm not anxious? So you have to define that. What is it in your heart and what emotion needs to be acknowledged and what emotion needs to be led? What emotion needs to be led? So this gives us insight. For some of you, your emotions signal places that need to be healed. So I think that emotions are most productive. They're, they're most helpful when we are healed and we are whole. And so when we have emotions, those emotions are an appropriate regulation of what's going on in our everyday life. So I'm angry because of this. Yeah, that would make me angry. Okay, what am I telling myself or what do I believe or what do I need to stop in my life? Okay, that's good. I'm angry and I don't know why. And every time I'm around this person, I feel rage. Okay, you know what? There's something in my story, something in my narrative, something in my heart that needs to be fixed because that emotion is an over, it's an overarching or an overreaction to what's really happening or an underreaction, right? So I should be angry that that person talked to me that way. So why am I not angry? Why is that not bothering me? I've kind of thought it was spirituality, but maybe it's because I, I lack self-worth or value. And I think I don't have a right to be angry because I'm a nobody. So does that make sense? We start to actually begin to use our feelings as signals to transformation with God, to helping us get deeper, to go deeper in our hearts and to get healing. And then we have a will and our will is not healed. It's not renewed. It is surrendered. And this is very important because many of us think, okay, when I come to Christ, my, I'm just going to want what God wants, right? Like that's the spiritual thing, right? We're like, um, <laughs> excuse me, if God, you know, I'm going to want what he wants. And when God says, I'm just going to do it, it's going to be no big deal. Well, if that were the case, then when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he was going to do something for God that he did not want to do. He knew it was the right thing to do. He did not want to do. He said a phrase that gives us insight to our will still being active when God asks us to do something. He says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Do you remember Jesus saying that? Not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was saying, I have a decision I would like to be made. I have a determination I'd like to be made. But because you're Lord of my life, my will gets surrendered. It doesn't get ignored. It doesn't get dismissed. It doesn't get rebuked. It gets surrendered. I have a desire to write this, speak this, go here, do this, marry him, marry her, whatever it is, but not my will, your will be done. What do you want me to do? And this is not a plurality. A faith walk is not a plurality, no matter what the world presents, our faith in Christ is faith in him being Lord of our life, not just getting a vote, getting the vote. He didn't come to seek and save those who are lost so that he could get a vote. <laughs> he didn't come and die on a cross and have God didn't have a son die a gruesome death so that when we're not sure we go, well, I'll consider your opinion. He's like, if I'm going to save you, from death and damnation, and I'm coming to save you from all the things that you deserve, then I'm going to be savior of your life. And I get the main vote. And I want to be Lord of your life because you were never created to be Lord of your life. You being Lord of your life is not a healthy thing. You have, but you only have like present 
vision. I have future vision. I know what's best for you. I know where you're supposed to go and how you're supposed to go there. And I know how to add this to your life and how to take this out of your life. And so trusting that he's a good God and his intentions are good is the only way you'll be okay with God's no. The only way you'll be okay with God's no in your life is if you truly trust him. If you don't trust God, then his no's will seem mean. They'll seem antagonistic. They'll seem irrelevant to the situation. They'll seem burdensome. But when we lay our own desires down and we say, God, I want what you want. That's actually a place of freedom and confidence and trust. It's a place of transformation. So we looked at our will. We know our will gets surrendered. We looked at our emotions. We know they get healed, but now we have to look at our minds. How, what happens to our minds? Do our minds get surrendered? Do our minds get healed? No, <laughs> no, our minds, that is not the place of transformation for our will and for our heart, for our mind. The place of transformation is renewal. It gets renewed. We're going to talk about how to do that. So Romans Chapter 12, verse two says, and this is the amplified version, which is kind of the female version. There's a lot more words and they add some Greek into it. So you kind of know the idea behind it. It says, do not, do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind by focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes so that you may prove for yourself what is the will what God's will is that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and his purpose for you. Okay, what does that mean? I'm going to give it to you really straight. The Bible says, don't be conformed. Don't live according to superficial values and customs. There's a lot of superficial values out there. There's a lot of customs of your culture, of your, your, you know, nation, of your gender, of the things. There's a lot of things that are out there that you think are fine, but don't conform yourself to those, but be transformed. And how do we transform? Well, it tells you transformation is progressively being changed. Your mind is a progression of change. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't wake up and your brain just loves everything that you need to love and hates everything you're supposed to hate. Your mind is, it's a progressive changing. It's a maturity that happens and it gets renewed by A, focusing on godly values, which it's focusing on what God values and an ethical attitude, which is, and what God thinks about. Because your values are what God values and your attitudes are what you think about. So he's saying scripturally, you may prove for yourself what the will of God is for your life by focusing on what God values and thinking about the thoughts that God has, thinking God thoughts. So what I value, what God values matters to me and what God thinks values to me. And if I elevate both of those in my life, my mind begins to be transformed. That's cool. And both of which are within our power to do as adults, which is so cool. So, and then it says, so that you may prove for yourself what is the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. This is important. You will not know what God's perfect will is for your life unless you have a renewed mind. 
Some of you don't know what God wants from you or for your life. And you keep trying to figure it out. And renewing your mind is a fast track to knowing what the will of God is. It's the fast track to just deciding and discovering like, oh, wow, this is what he values. This is what he thinks about. That's a superficial value. That's a superficial custom. Now I know what's important to him. And for many of us, we don't know that. And so we just get confused. You want to know God's will for your life? Renew your mind. That's the fastest track to it. Okay, I hope you guys got a lot out of that part of the session. Even though I teach it, it's like I need it too. I love studying this, learning this, and reminding myself I don't have to be powerless in my brain. You know what I mean? So I think it's one of the gifts we can give our kids or the friends that we have is they don't have to be powerless to the mindsets that they maybe have been taught or whatever, or things that they kind of naturally lean into, but we can renew our mind. We can think powerful thoughts and new thoughts that we've never thought before. So I hope you've enjoyed this. If you loved this podcast series, um, the March Mindsets, will you leave me a review and let me know if you liked this? Because I read every comment and it helps me know that this is the kind of content that helps and works and you enjoy. So make sure and leave me a comment. I know it's an extra step. I get that we all have a ton of things going on, but if you want to give back because this is speaking to you, that's the best way to give back is let me know. And one last thing, we are three weeks into our March mindset, but we are two weeks out from our wonder conference. Now, I know this might be a new thought for those of you that are just tuning in, but I'm actually a women's pastor and we host a women's conference every year and it's called Wonder. And this year we are going forward at the end of March 29th, 30th and 31st. We are hosting a conference at my church Bethel. It's called Wonder Wonder Women or Women Wonder Conference, however you want to say it, but it's the Wonder Conference and there is supposedly still room. So hopefully there is. We've been really filling up and we've got two different venues at, with the same exact conference. So if you see two venues, don't worry. One of them is not streaming and the other one is live. No, no, they're both live and they're both going to have live worship, live speakers. I have my friends coming in. Lisa Bevere is coming in. Krista Smith is coming in as well as Callie. I want to say Higniter, but I'm going to say it so wrong. Don't be mad at me, but the worship leader from Bethel, Callie. So you guys don't miss out. Join us. You can be in person and you can watch online. Uh, That's it for week three. It's a wrap. I will catch you next week on our last two sessions of March Mindsets. Hey, I'm looking at the reviews right now. So go leave one. Okay. Love you guys. Bye.